You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Do a mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Joining me today in studio is our Senior Media Director, Clay Baird. Now, Clay, this is a special Halloween episode. We're going to talk about this, like, paranormal spookiness, different outdoor stories. But, you know, you're on the podcast today because you opened up a great opportunity for us to join up with another podcast, Expanded Perspectives. Why don't you go ahead and introduce who the guys from Expanded Perspectives are, what they are, and how this whole idea came together. So today we have Kyle Filson and Cam Hale, and they run a podcast called Expanded Perspectives, which is, it's a podcast I've been listening to for a long time, well before the DU podcast was started. And it was one of, uh, you know, several podcasts that I'd listened to that was inspiration for for me to just say, why don't why don't we have a podcast? And that was the conversation you and I had mm-hmm. initially and brought Mike Brazier into this whole thing. And, uh, and, and so they are partially responsible <laughs> for, for this whole thing, this whole endeavor that, that's happening today, which I think is really cool. But uh, I reached out to Kyle and Cam, um, I don't know, it was probably two months ago because I was listening to Expanded Perspectives late one night and I was walking around my neighborhood and I was, I've always been interested in paranormal, always listen to these shows. And I thought to myself, 
why don't we, you know, do a Halloween show and why don't I reach out to these guys? Because it's a perfect fit. They're both avid outdoorsmen. They they both support DU. They have a paranormal show. It's like a great fit. So let's get into it. Yeah. Hey, uh, Kyle and Cam, yeah. why don't you guys both go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us how you guys came up with this expanded perspectives and how this all ties into the outdoors and, and just everything that you guys do. Sure. Uh, I'll go first. My name is Kyle Filson. Uh, I'm a native Texan. I was born here in Texas. I uh, grew up in a small town just west of Dallas-Fort Worth uh, where I met this guy. Uh, he went to the same town and everything. And the reason we became friends <clears throat> is my whole family's from New Jersey. And my parents moved down here for work. And because New Jersey doesn't have a lot of private land like in Texas, they don't, it's only public land hunting. And so you either hunt with a shotgun, uh, a muzzleloader, or with a bow. Uh, They don't allow rifle hunting. And so my father was an archer. So when he moved, when I grew up here, uh, he, he introduced me to the world of archery. Now, back then, this was before there was a hunting channel and all this. We're talking like 1980. Uh, I was the only person that I knew amongst my friends that went to school with me that actually hunted with a bow and arrow until I met him. Uh, and we met in middle school. Sixth grade, yeah. And he was the only other guy that I knew that was into archery. All of my other friends, they they rifle hunted almost exclusively. And we quickly became friends, you know. We started staying over one another's houses, started shooting all the time, eventually started hunting together all the time. And we had, you know, when you're hunting and stuff, you have a lot of time sitting around doing nothing. We would always talk to each other about what some hunters saw, or did you hear this story, or did you read this in a magazine? And we discovered that we had a, a, a high interest in the paranormal. Always did. We watched shows like Unsolved Mysteries, In Search Of, things like that. And I remember seeing like the Patterson-Gimlin film for the very first time, the one with Patty, where the, there in Bluff Creek where the, you could see the walking Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And we always had a love for it. Now, fast forward to after high school, uh, he used to work, Cam used to work for the municipality here in town. And I am an independent contractor. I'm a real estate appraiser. So both of us were on our own all day, every day in our cars. And so, you know, when you're in your car, this is before podcasting uh, really was a thing. You know, you listen to the radio stations, they play the same songs, the same 20, 30 songs over and over on a loop. And of course, you can switch to other channels, you know, like classic rock and things, but you already know all those songs. And then I started getting into like talk radio, but it's either political talk shows or it's sports. And those are kind of boring. Till one day, this knucklehead goes, do you know what a podcast is? And I was like, I have no idea. This was like in 2010. I remember because you had to go on iTunes, and this was when the first iPod didn't even have a screen on it. It looked like a, like a, like a Bic cigarette lighter. It had no screen or nothing. You'd have to go to iTunes, download the podcast, plug in your iPod, and then download it to that, and then listen. So I started doing that, and I found there was only a handful at this time of these paranormal podcasts, and I used to really enjoy it. So we would call each other, you know, download this episode, give it a listen, and then call me back. And then we'd call and we'd discuss what they said or what they didn't say or, man, that's so interesting. All right, I'm, I'll, I'll call you back. I'm going to try to find a different one. This went on for months. And then at some point, we were hanging out by a little bonfire, having a couple cold ones. And we were talking about this episode that we had recently heard. And I don't know how it came up, but it was just one of those things where it was like, do you think we could do that? 
And of course, in the beginning, he was like, oh, you know, I don't know. We don't know anything about it. This was, there was no, there was no books on how to podcast. There were not any videos on YouTube, really. I mean, it was like, well, I don't know how we're going to do this, but sounds like an interesting idea. So we started digging into it, started figuring out what kinds of equipment we needed. Now, back then, they didn't have like these Rodecaster Pros where everything's in a box. And no, we had to buy like soundboards. And I remember going on eBay and buying like a used mixing board. I had no idea how to work the thing at the time. Compressors and gate limiters and all this stuff and microphones. I even remember going into a couple different mus musical shops, telling them exactly, you know, the type of microphone I need. And they were like, what are you doing with it? And back in those days, nobody said podcast. So it was easier to tell people internet radio. Like we're trying to do an internet radio show. Then everybody'd be like, oh, I know, you know that kind of makes sense. But when you said podcast, you know, they'd always be like, well, what are you and Cam doing in your garage? Like it doesn't make sense. And then we finally got all the equipment assembled. It took us like a year. And uh, I remember we tried it out the first time and we were like shocked. We we're like, is it really going to sound this good? Because back in the day, there was a lot of podcasts that the audio quality was not very good, but you were willing to put up with it because there were subjects and stories that you weren't able to hear anywhere else. So we were really shocked at how well it started. So I remember you, you had to submit it to iTunes. And I remember when we got the clear, we got cleared and we were so excited. Like, I can't believe we're going to be on iTunes. This is amazing. This was back in like 2012. We started pumping uh, episodes out and about like the third episode in, we were like, man, if we could just, at the end of the year, if we could have like 300 subscribers, that would be amazing. And within like the first month, I think we already had like 3,500. And then we started reaching out to other people that we knew that were podcasting, probably would never get the okay, but we'd ask anyways. And they were like, yeah, come on. And I think back in those early days, podcasting was so new that anybody that wanted to come on your show, you're like, hey, well, come on, because you need content. And then it just snowballed and it just kept growing. And now we've been doing the show every week for a decade. And I mean, it's crazy to think that we've been doing it this long and it, and it's actually become easier. So in the beginning, you like you had to really dig for stories. You had to go to books and, and things like that to try to find these stories. But as the show grew, it became easier because people will start emailing us their encounters and it just built. And then you read their sightings on the air and then people hear their stories being read on the air, which excites other people to want to write in and share their stories. And so nowadays, I mean, every single day I get 30 stories sent to us and you just have to curtail and pick out which ones you want to use for the upcoming show. And I'm telling you, I'm shocked that so many people have so many of the similar sightings from different parts of the world that don't even know each other, like they've never met. But the sightings are very similar. And you'd be shocked at how many strange sightings happen to hunters. And that's how it kind of started. Now, can't introduce yourself. Now that Kyle's been filibusting, I'll take it. I'll take it away from here. Yeah, I'm Cam Hale, and yeah, everything that he said is pretty much exactly what went down. That is, uh, we've we've done a lot of stuff together. We've been experiencing a lot of stuff together, going and hunting and fishing and camping and trekking all over. And we've never had any really cool stories, but that was it. It was the stories that drew us in. And then as you go and you start seeing how more and more people interact with the stories, what was the thing, I guess, the most surprising to me about podcasting once we got it started was that it became where people felt comfortable to share an experience. And you'd be surprised, and, and you've all been doing the show long enough, the podcast makes you a better listener. You'll find it makes you a better listener in your relationships with anybody. It just makes you a better listener. And 
that kind of comes out as, as it goes. People can feel that and they get that sense. So they're more willing to send the stories in. And then like Kyle said, a lot of people think they're the only ones that's had this happen. I'm the only one that's had this happen or there might be a couple and they go ahead and talk about it. And then you realize, oh man, you're one of like thousands that's had some similar occurrence happen to them. So you're not alone in this boat. And that's kind of where it all got started. But like Kyle said, the outdoors, well, that's where it all takes place. That's where all the weirdness takes place, right? Like, that's where people see things because like we brought up before we were recording, you're out there in the middle of nowhere in the dark or you're walking out in the dark. Like so either time you're out there when whatever it is is out there as well. It's never in the middle of the day. You're never doing all your best work in the middle of the day. It's always in the, the you know, the, the magic hours is when it comes down. Yeah, and a lot of times hunters, what's unique about them is they're typically in places that are not heavy foot traffic. You know, like where you're boating out to islands or you're, you know, running rivers early in the morning where, I mean, you don't, you don't typically see anyone out there other than other hunters. So, I mean, they're pretty low traffic areas. And so that kind of lends itself to maybe not necessarily paranormal, but some weird circumstances can pop up. Um, and I know we've got some stories to share that you guys have pulled together. Um, I don't know if Clay has a, has a story that he wanted to share, but I, I wanted to share one with you guys. And this is just like duck hunting related. And I, what I should have done was just emailed it to you unknowingly to see if you guys would air it. Oh, it's happening for sure now. Yeah. It's yeah. happening for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you know, when I moved here from Indiana in like 2007, maybe 2008, um, moved to Memphis. And when I moved here, um, just like you said, with the hunting access, it was a lot different where, I mean, I grew up in Indiana. I could, I knew farmers. I had access to all kinds of property. When I moved here, everyone's hunting in Arkansas. They're all hunting flooded timber. You know, a lot of it's private. The rice fields are private, but there's a ton of really good public waterfowl hunting in Arkansas. And so that was my target area. I was like, I'm going hunting flooded timber. You know, this is like the picturesque thing that I'd always imagined, you know, growing up in Indiana hunting. I'd never done it before. Well, I did it a few times. And then I got convinced a couple guys. Uh, one of them worked at DU. One of them didn't. Um, one younger guy. And I was like, hey, you know what? Let's go walk into BioDeView. And BioDeView is, I want to say, don't quote me on this, like thirteen to 15,000 acres of flooded timber when the water's on. And you can just park in a parking area and just walk into the flooded woods. The woods is flooded, you know, probably a little less than knee, knee high. Um, but it's this vast expanse of area. And so, and I'd been there a couple times, like I said, but I didn't really know what I was doing, you know, typically just trying to learn a new public area. And so I get these two guys and we drive to Bayou View. It's about an hour and a half from Memphis. We get up there at who knows, you know, we're leaving Memphis at 3, 3.30 in the morning get up there, park. There's not a whole lot of people there in the walk-in area. There are other people boating in. We didn't have a boat. So we take off walking, and we just walk and walk and walk for, I mean, it felt like 10 miles in flooded knee-deep water, but it was probably, you know, a mile in something like that where we were like, all right, I know where we are, we are in perspective to, you know, the boat lanes and this and that. And so we kind of picked our spot, and we're all standing there, we put our decoys down, and before we even set out decoys, it's like something changed in that humidity in the air and the whole place just got socked in with fog. And this is, it's fairly typical in, in December in Arkansas um, for those areas to be super, super foggy. And it got so bad that I, you could be standing within 15, 20 feet of someone and you can't see them. So the three of us, I'm like, hey, come over here, you know. 
it's it like you said we're out in the middle of nowhere we don't really know where we are it's a little foggy you know i'm kind of a you know paranormal believer anyway so i'm just like you know just kind of has has this vibe to it seriously and so we're all standing there and we are standing within 10 feet of each other and just kind of talking right out of the fog you just hear water slosh one time and there's a guy standing within two or three feet of us nobody even says anything you just kind of look up and this guy is not carrying decoys he's carrying a shotgun he has a duck call around his neck he's in like the tin cloth jacket that you didn't really see even at that time because now now everybody wants to rock the tin cloths because it's like old you know heritage stuff you didn't see a lot of that he's wearing canvas waders and he just walks right between us not saying a word and he gets about five eight ten feet away and he just disappears into the fall and you don't even hear the water sloshing anymore it's like he was just there and then he wasn't the guy that i was hunting with his name is stephen walker i'll throw him out he used to be a du employee he just looks at me and he was just like who is that and we're and the other guy that was there you know he just he's just wide-eyed and i'm standing there and we're just like we just bust out laughing because we're like oh my gosh like that was the weirdest thing it was like an old man dressed in an old gear with no decoys wandering by himself carrying a shotgun you know just that was it and so we referred to that experience as the arkansinian in the mist what you'll find the more you listen to it and the more research you'll do into anything with mist and fog is that's the veil between mm-hmm. so you'll have a lot of the st- strangest happenings in and around foggy, misty areas like that. Like we did a story, had a guy tell us he was a sailor in the Navy. They actually saw an old, possibly six, 700-year-old Chinese junk ship come out of the fog on one of their trips. Oof. And they made eye contact with each other. The, the people on the one ship looked at its old Chinese ship and they were like both mystified. They were seeing each other and then it went back into the mist and when the mist was gone, it was gone. There was nothing else out there. So it's kind of like an overlap. So it may have been some sort of overlap that y'all experienced out there. Or just like you said, the spirit of maybe someone that had drowned, maybe a drowned hunter caught up out there. I don't know. I mean, you never know where it could have come from. But yeah, that's definitely the part. the part that's the neatest that you pointed out is the fact that you only heard him when you saw him. Yeah. So it's like it intended you to hear that sound. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what would be the point, right? What's the point of making the noise if you're not going to make it the whole time? You only made it when it was there. The minute it got into that mist again, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So whatever it was was physically no longer there. So now we're verifying that there is actually an Arkansinian in the mist at Bio View. <laughs> something out there. So yeah. I have heard <laughs> this story out. before, Chris. I do have to ask you, because I don't think I've asked you this before. Did the guy have an expression on his face? Did he look at you guys at all? No. No, and that was the thing. He never looked at us. He never acknowledged that we were there. We were kind of like in shock because he's like standing basically almost, not shoulder to shoulder, but yeah, within five, three, five feet, and you're standing in knee-deep water. And he, Fighting distance. You're within fighting yeah. distance of this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. And everyone's holding 12 gauges. So it's like, yeah, it's a little yeah, scary. Yeah, right. So no, I mean, there was no, he never, never looked at us, never made, paid us any attention. He just, he was almost like he knew where he was going and he was going whether we were standing there or not. So 
That was that was a pretty creepy one. It makes you wonder: is that like a one-off sighting, or does that like a loop? Like he walks through that marsh every day, and just you guys happen to be standing where he yeah. comes back? Because there's a lot of stories where people, it's like something's broken in time, like it's on a loop. And people will see the same spirit at the same place. Maybe not every day, but and that's why there's these famous locations, right, all throughout the U.S. Mm -hmm. and other parts of the world, where if you go to this spot, you'll see this woman in white, and it's like a reoccurring. Sorry, you can't see my hand. Like a reoccurring thing. So every time I hear a story by somebody, like the one you just had the encounter, it makes you wonder: Does that happen a lot? Does it happen every ten years? Is it on opening day? Like, like what's the circumstance? Who was that person? Um. The only experience that I've ever had with the paranormal was actually while I was hunting. Uh, when I was about 13 or 14, uh, I was hunting with my father, my uncle, and a cousin, and a couple other guys in a place uh, north of Jacksboro, Texas. And a small, the town is called German, spelt with a J, but there's not really a town. There's like a post office, and that's about it. And I remember being up on this plateau. And it was in the evening, and I was rifle hunting this particular time, and there was a slight breeze blowing, and I saw something at the far edge of the field, and it it looked like a balloon, like like a mylar balloon or something moving, but what I thought was odd was it was moving against the wind, and so I pulled up my rifle scope and I was you know looking through there and I could see it wasn't a balloon, but I couldn't make out what it was and it. It looked as it got closer towards me. It wasn't moving towards me. It was moving the, across the field, but it was kind of at an angle, so it was getting closer as it was moving across. I could see it was glowing, and it was about the size of a basketball, beach ball, somewhere in there. And it wasn't, it was an orb, is the only way I could describe it. And it was weird because it wasn't pulsating, but like the brightness and the and the darkness would constantly change a little bit. But it wasn't like a flicker. It was like really, really hard to describe because I never really saw anything like that up till that point or since. But it was moving across this field against the wind, and then it just kind of went into the trees. And I didn't, I didn't know what I saw, so I never said anything about it. I just kind of freaked out. Fast forward to three or four weeks later, we had a several stands on this property, like 15, but only like six people. So people would rotate which stands they were in. And on this three or four weeks later, I don't remember, I was hunting in a different stand and some other guy that was on the deer lease with us hunted in the stand that I saw it in. And we came back and when the hunt was over that evening, we, we had a central camp that we would meet up before we you know, shared stories and then we left and locked the gate and whatever. The guy came in and he started talking about what he saw to my uncle and it was the same thing. And then I remember thinking, oh, somebody else saw it too. So then I said, yeah, I saw it. And then we kind of shared stories and it was the exact same thing. And we were the only two that ever saw it. I never saw it again, even though I hunted the same stand several other times. And so we talked to the landowner and apparently there were some Native American burial grounds in that area. So I don't know if that was like a ghost sighting, I, I don't, ball lightning, there's lots of people, you know, swamp gas, even though there's no swamps within hundreds of thousands of miles. I, I don't know what I saw, but it was the only paranormal thing that I've experienced. And then since doing the podcast, I didn't realize that there's a lot of people that see these orbs 
Uh, they see them in houses. They see them in fields. There's even been hunters. You did a segment on a story where guys saw a set, not one, but like three different orbs navigating through the woods. He said it was like, like a flock, but there was only three. But he could tell they were intelligently controlled. So are these like nature spirits? Are these ghosts? Are these drones piloted by extraterrestrials? I, I don't know, but I'm not definitely not the only person who has seen these strange orbs moving through fields or through forest. And I've that's pretty cool. Not as cool as the the phantom in the mist, though. That would that's definitely cooler than a ball. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was cool. And you know, that's the thing is I'll be interested to hear if we get some feedback. You know, or even you guys get some feedback of someone else who's like, man, I've hunted by the view before and I've seen that same guy. Like, that'd be cool. I mean, yeah. like this could open the door to, you know, many people who have had the same experience. Like you said, a lot of people yeah. have the same experiences. I did a, a segment one time about the, the Native American spectral sightings down along the Texas Gulf Coast. And we got several stories about people that have heard drumming or have heard chanting and had seen things like that down along the same way. So it's probably, yeah, if there's anything out there, we'll hear from it. There'll be people we'll talk about if they've seen something like what you've talked about in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to come forward until they hear someone else come forward. And then it kind of gives them the the ability to want to share. And like, we always tell people, if you don't want your real name, just make up a pseudonym. We would have never, we would have no clue. Like, you just don't have to anonymous. We'll make up something anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's more fun. Yeah. If just make up names anyhow, right? Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Tough for me to make my, mine up now. I already let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now it's happening. Yeah. And here's another thing. This is one thing that we always, I always kind of brush past and go back to make sure to touch on is every hunter that I've ever met is truly, they have truly have a love for the outdoors, right? Like that's what gets you into it. And you may get into it as a kid and it may be something where you want to go with your friends and drink beer and hang out all that, but you become, as you get older, a conservationist of everything. And so every time that you start spending time in the outdoors, it's changes your mindset a little bit where you have a bit more of a conservationist mindset. So you start looking and paying a lot more attention to, I'm going to pick up trash. I'm going to make sure that's not here. I'm going to, you become a steward for the area that you're in. So you know these areas intimately. And even if you go into new public areas, you still feel at home there. You still feel a welcoming feeling. Using all of that and knowing all the woodsmanship that men go through and women, people just go through to be hunters in the outdoors and knowing that they're keyed in. When they have any sort of sighting, I add a little more credence to it simply because of where they're at and who they are and what they've done. It's the same thing when you look at military or police, anyone that knows how to handle themselves in a state of pressure. Pilots. Yes. When they have crazy sightings of what we deem as outlandish, you always have to think about, well, who's telling me the story? Like these people are trained in what they do and whether or not we're, you know, you could say you're trained or not. When you've gone and spent as much time in the outdoors as we all have, you're kind of trained in a way that this is where you feel at home, right? Like I feel okay here. I don't feel like an outsider. So you notice certain things. You notice more on the trails. You notice more of the sounds. Certain sounds you don't get your dander up for. You've heard foxes. You've heard bobcats. You've heard them make crazy racket. Then every now and again, you hear something and people report it like, look, man, I've I've never heard that before. I'll give you a real quick story of what I'm talking about. A buddy that I used to work with, uh, his name was Daryl. 
Daryl lived out in East Texas. Is that his real name? That's his real name. Okay. His real name's Daryl. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's probably going to listen. I'll text him and make sure I'll tell him I told this story. He told <laughs> okay. me two awesome stories. If he don't like it, I don't care. So anyway, so Daryl, he grew up in East Texas, way out in the thicket, right? Like he said they didn't, they were real poor. They didn't really have much. He said they didn't really celebrate Christmas or anything like that because they didn't have money to, but they were always camping. So he was, Daryl will tell you straight up, he was an accident. His next brother in his age is 18 years older than he is, or no, 14 years older than he is. So Daryl is like, I'm an accident. Well, his oldest or his next brother or whatever was off in the military, had joined up, had come back. And Daryl said he had always idolized his brother, right? They were, that was the closest one he'd had. They grew up together running and playing and all of this stuff. So Daryl starts telling this story that he was one time, uh, hanging out with his brother. He'd been home and whatnot, and they heard something getting after the chickens outside their house. So his brother grabs a firearm and goes out. So Daryl's going to be out there with his brother. He runs out, nothing in his hand. He's a kid at this point. He runs out the other door, out the back door. He's going to circle around and try to pinch off whatever he's doing with his tough brother. He said, but the problem is, on the way he's running, he runs into an old rug his mom had hanging out on the clothesline, blew him off his feet. And he's wiped out. He's just in the dark running, gets smoked by a nasty wet rug. He's wiped out. The, bro- the older brother goes over, looks around. They don't see anything, comes back in. Daryl comes in, said he's covered in mud and crap where it slapped him. And he's like, well, I tried to help. And he goes, but I run into mom's rug. And she's like, we don't have a rug. And he goes, what are you talking about? And he's like eight, you know, at the time, nine. She's like, we don't have a rug hanging out there. And he said he remembers it being real coarse and real damp and it hit him. And it just was like he ran into a wet tree and fell down. He said, I put that out of my mind. I was a kid. I never thought anything else about it. He said, fast forward, my daughter goes to do a, a report at school on mountain lions. And so, and they still live out in the thicket. They still live out there in East Texas. So she's doing a report on mountain lions. So she goes on YouTube to get some audio clips of what they sound like. Well, Daryl said when he was a boy and him and his friends wanted to go play that his dad wouldn't have let him go play at certain times because you could hear the mountain lions screaming. So he was like, y'all aren't going out in the woods. Y'all don't need to go out there at this point. So Daryl says, the daughter starts playing the sounds. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he walks out of the room. He looks at his wife and he's like, that ain't the sounds my dad told me was a mountain lion sound. So he said he takes about a day or so and he goes back online, starts going through and finds Finding Bigfoot and starts listening to howls. And that leads him down a whole nother path. And he's like, that was the sound that my father had always told me when I could and could not go outside. And when we couldn't go far into the woods is when that sound was around. And at certain times in the fall and certain times in the spring, you would hear those sounds. And he said, we could never go out for like two weeks. And after that, he said, you wouldn't hear them no more. And then we could go do everything else after that. So yeah, it's, it's always so funny to me because as much time as we've all spent and as many game cameras is out there and all these things are out there and all these stories from credible individuals, yet we have no proof. We have nothing in our hands but just grains of sand. It's just we have a lot of circumstantial evidence or evidence that you would have to be there and collected to even understand the context of. But yet we have these people have these encounters day after day after day of hearing something, of seeing something. It's it blows me away. I still, and that's what we always laugh about. When we wake up in the morning, some days I'm on Team Bigfoot and some days I'm on <laughs> Team, there's no way. Yeah. It's impossible, right? And it's just every 24 hours, it may change. And I try to, you know, 
I try to pick one side and stay with it, but you can't. I'm I just there's not enough there for me. Yeah, I duck hunted with a guy in Indiana, um, and he grew up in southwestern Ohio, kind of in the yeah. foothills there, and he would fist fight you if you told him that Bigfoot doesn't exist. He's like me and my brother saw it. He's like there, is, and I mean this guy. You know, like I said, he's a credible dude. You know, there's you would never question anything mm-hmm. about him. And he swears that him and his brother were out running into like a little creek and ravine and popped up over the edge and ran into Bigfoot and saw it in southwestern Ohio. Ohio is a strange place. Yeah, that's that is get, like a hotbed. Yeah. That is a very, very strange place in the United States. I'd say Bigfoot's probably the number one sighting that we get from hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, or things like that more than any others. Uh, and for whatever reason, some of those stories, like Cam said, are, aren't very convincing to me. I'm just like, well, I don't know. It could, it could be you a lot of stuff. Some, you hear some strange stuff, but you never see anything, right? But then I've met people in person, not on the show. So they weren't getting any credibility, like off air, just meeting me at a, at a conference or something or on the street. I knew an old rancher who I used to haul hay for as, as a kid who once he found out I was doing the show, and this guy's like in his 70s, he told me about an experience he had, you know, where he said he saw a Bigfoot. I mean, like, what, why would this old rancher decide to make that up one day? What does he have to gain? This is a guy I knew almost my life, yeah. And you, I've met people that have given up hunting because they had such a terrifying encounter. Uh, Cam, I think, hunted with a guy yeah. who had a, a strange encounter and basically quit going out in the woods, sold all his stuff, and... And he never really wanted to talk too much about what happened. I've never seen it change a human being like it changed that man. And he was on my dear lease. I knew him for quite just, we were on a pretty good spot with my brother-in-law. And it was one of, I was on with a bunch of his friends. And so this guy was a little bit older than I was. But I was blown away by, yeah, we came in. It was like during turkey season, some stuff. They were hunting pigs and turkey. And it was during spring turkey season. We were out there. We got in there late. And he was packing up to leave. He came in at like prime time, right? And he's loading up his four-wheeler. And of course, everybody starts in on him. What's going on? What's going on? He wouldn't talk to anybody. He just started getting stuff. And finally, we were, you know, was like, is everything okay? There was like three of us in camp. The rest of them were out. And he's like, I'm getting the hell out of here. And he was like, there's something out there. And he goes, we don't have any business being out here with it. And so we finally got him to tell us that he was in a blind hunting pigs, had his rifle and all that, and saw something moving that he thought was cattle or a cow at first moving through some cedar breaks, just so salt scrub and cedar breaks through there. And as it came off the top, he said it looked like a gorilla man with cedar trees brushing under his arms as he was pushing his way through these cedar trees. And he goes, I know that the cedars are about six foot tall where they were at, and whatever this was, it was about shoulder height making its way through these trees. And he said it came and disappeared, and he pulled his rifle up and looked at it, and he said it went over and then went down into the bottom part of the Brazos up there and dipped off in, or the Trinity, rather, the Salt Fork of the Trinity, and it went down off into that part. And he got down. He said when it went out of sight, he got down, and that's when he left. And he sold his bass boat. He sold his Jeep. He sold his four-wheeler. He sold all of his guns. He sold all of his fishing poles. Did you get any he deals on it? Yeah, well, we did get a little bit on fishing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't. And yeah, he, he passed away a few years later from cancer. But from that moment forward, he never went back into the woods. He never did anything. And he rode that until the day he died. That's what happened. Wow. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Well, there's, I'll tell the other. So we had a guy on named Gary Christensen. 
And Gary Christensen used to work for the BFRO. And we haven't checked in on Gary. He was old. He's an older fellow at the time whenever we talked to him. But I asked Gary his favorite story. And it's since became my favorite story ever of a Bigfoot story. And Gary went up to the Dakotas and was going to do some pheasant hunting. And while he was up there, he was told a story about you need to go talk to so-and-so. When they were in kindergarten, Bigfoot came to their school, like came up and tried to attack kids on the playground. And so he was like, well, you have my, yeah, you have my, you know, curiosity is peaked. So he goes and finds someone from this class, kindergarten, first grade, talks to this woman. And the woman tells the story. She goes, oh, yeah, this is, this is true. This is what happened. This is what we were doing. We were playing on the playground. And we started hearing something making noises. And across their playground was a little wash and then down to a creek. And he said, or she said, up out of that creek, Bigfoot, come out of that creek, squalling with its hollering, throwing stuff, like throwing stumps and rocks in there. They called the police. The police go up, up to the school. They come out armed. They start with their revolvers. They're whipping shots down there at it. Bigfoot runs back off in the creek. They get all the kids inside, and that was it. That's the memory she has. She's like, I don't camp. We don't go outside. We're like, none of this stuff, right? So he's like, well, who else was in your classroom? So she gives a few names, and then she's like, you need to go talk to, like, one of the teachers that was there. And like, oh, well, they're still alive. Yeah, all right, I'm down. So boom, he shoots over there. Goes up, knocks on the door, introduces himself, says all this stuff, and was like, yeah, I remember that. The teacher said, yeah, she said she remembered every bit of that. But it's like, it wasn't real. Said it was done for fun. And he goes, what are you talking about? And she was like, that was the, the principal. And he's still alive if you want to go talk to him. So he goes, oh, yeah, he gets her information, goes to talk to the principal. The principal goes, yeah, oh, yeah, we did it for Halloween. We came out and the cops had blanks and we set it all up so we could scare the kids for Halloween. Gary said, did you ever tell the kids? <laughs> He goes, no, we never thought it a problem. He goes, do you know how many lives you've ruined? <laughs> yeah. Because the adults that he spoke to, still, he went back and told them all. I've talked to the principal. I talked to your teachers. I've done all the interviews. None of it was real. All of this stuff was a hoax. The reason I love the story is because the repercussion is still the same. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it was real or whatever. It's what you think. And so the horror that the, the man I used to hunt with, whatever he saw and whatever scared him was the same pain that was felt by those students as adults. And it was fake. We know for a fact it was fake and yet they can't shake it. Mm-hmm. That, so it's one of those things like it's one of those personal interactions yeah. like what you had. Like what you saw. No one can tell you. Right? They can argue till their face is blue that there's no such thing as the afterlife. There's no such thing as any of this. You saw something that makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. And I think there's a lot of that takes place in this world. I, th- I agree. And, I, and, and what's interesting, though, with, and let's put this in the waterfowling perspective, very rarely, now people do, do you go duck or goose hunting by yourself? You know, mm-hmm. in deer right. hunting, you know, it's interesting because like you're saying, that guy saw that one thing, but nobody else saw it. Now, you were able to validate what you saw with the other hunter that saw the orb. You know, you guys saw the same right. thing. With waterfowl hunting, typically when, you know, you've got three, four, even more, like with my story, those two guys who were with me will tell that same exact story. And that's what I think is kind of interesting. Like, yeah, you've got, you know, there are multiple sightings, multiple people can verify this. And so that kind of makes, you know, duck and goose hunting a little bit unique in the fact that if if you did see something, there's going to be three or four people who saw it. Oh, yeah. Right. And sightings like yours where there's multiple people, that just makes the story 
more validation that something really occurred. And we have people that email us and bless their heart. They're trying, they think they had an encounter, but they just don't know enough about the outdoors. You know, you get people that, you know, we call them city slickers, but they don't know. And so they're honestly not trying to lie to you, but they'll tell you a story and then I have to write them back. And I'm like, well, what you probably heard was a fox or something like that. They just don't, they're not familiar with the outdoors enough. But when you have a seasoned veteran, guys like you that are in the field all the time and they tell you a story, you're like, golly. Because a lot of the sightings, people are like, oh, that was a black bear. That guy saw a black bear. And I'm like, well, this guy has been hunting his whole life. He's he's probably killed 20 black bear with his recurve. He knows what a bear looks like, what a bear does, what it doesn't. And he's straight up told me what he saw was not a bear. But then you see with the Bigfoot stories, it's such a big animal. Like what it would have to eat a lot. Like there's no bones or nothing. So I always wonder, is Bigfoot just like the the hunter you saw in the mist? Maybe that's like a ghost of a hominid that once roamed the area, that it's not physically here, just like that hunter was from long ago. Maybe Bigfoot's like that. You're seeing like a hominid ghost. That's why there's never any bones found. Or maybe it is physical because sometimes they find tracks. Like there's no rhyme or reason. People smell them. They stink. People claim that they throw rocks at them. They, people claim that they do wood knocks. One of the stories I liked years ago, we had a guy that he was he was some a member of some Bigfoot research team in some state. I don't remember. And him and his buddies on the weekends, they would go into the woods and they would knock, do tree knocks and stuff. And they would hear knocking back and they were running a blog at this time and they would post where they were looking at this weekend and what they found. It turns out later, he found out that it was another group of researchers that were knocking back at them. So it was just two different independent groups of people making noises. And they both thought that they were having, you know, interactions with Sasquatch. They would leave uh, an apple on a gifting tree. And sure enough, tomorrow morning, it was gone. They were just doing it back and forth to each other. And now these aren't people, I mean, they're not trying to deceive the public. They think they're doing some good, but sometimes it's just a, a natural explanation for what they're seeing. But then there's the ones that fall through the cracks and you, those, those head scratchers that you're just like, I have no idea what you saw or how to explain it. Well, Chris, like you pointed out, most people are, when you're bird hunting, you're with, with other people. We got a story that took place in 2016 in Missouri, in that, that upper Mississippi Peninsula area is where they were hunting ducks. I believe in West Alton. And a um, boy, or I say a, boy, a young man and his father had gone duck hunting together and reported seeing a flying humanoid. They said this thing came down over the top of the marshes, over where they were hunting, swooped in, and they said that it wasn't, said it made like a bald eagle look like a baby, right? Like this, you could see the humanoid shape of this thing and something with wings as it dipped down and glided back out of there. What could you mistaken for that? Right? There's nothing that you're going to see flying that you're going to mistake for that. And that's another thing. A lot of duck hunters, I don't know what it is about it because y'all are always looking up, are <laughs> always seeing orbs and UFOs. Lots man. of UFO sightings. A lot yeah. of strange and flying humanoids. A lot of strange stuff in the sky. Because I'm, you're talking about you know hunting flooded timber. I'm sure a lot of it too is open. You get a lot of open areas that you have to shoot from where you're not. So the flooded timber, I'm sure, can only be that much more challenging to try to hit them as they're coming screaming down through their juking. Yeah. But like out in the open, when you're just looking up at the sky, y'all get out there in the wee hours of the morning too, way earlier. My nephew loves to hunt Sandhill Crane. 
he's a goose and crane. He's a fanatic, right? Oh, he's a deer hunter first and foremost. But when it becomes, because he he went to school up in the Panhandle, oh, yeah. up in Lubbock. Yeah. So that was what they did, right? Just yeah. going crazy. He used to tell me about how early they would get out there to get everything set up just so they could, t- and I'm like, bro, I thought we had to have it bad to get up in the trees in the morning. I'm like, man, you must really be mad at those birds to get up that early in the morning. But that's another thing is that's when you see it all. That's when because you're out there in the darkest of the dark, right? You're away from everything. There's not a lot of light pollution. You get to see things that most people don't. And that's what's funny is a lot of the duck hunters that you see, it's all in the sky because that's where you're We're looking. I mean, you got like a pit blind in Arkansas. You can see the entire horizon and you've got four or five guys who are staring in every single direction of the sky all morning long. Yeah, that's all you're doing. And so, yeah, that makes... Yeah, that's right. Well, cool, man. This has been great, but you guys actually put together some stories uh, to share with, with our audience here. Let's go ahead and take a quick break and then we'll key up these stories and we'll kind of talk through some of these stories. dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. All right, everybody, we're back. We are here with Kyle Filson and Cam Hale from Expanded Perspectives. They're sharing some awesome stories with us, some kind of paranormal, some weird sightings, some, you know, Bigfoot talk. You know, being in the outdoors is very unique um, for duck hunters and, you know, with 
Cam and Kyle, they're both big deer hunters as well. So they're out there seeing, not them seeing, but they understand that we're in a very unique position to sometimes see things at different times on off the beaten path areas. So hunters have these experiences and we're just here to share a few. They have put together a few stories that we're going to listen to and then talk about. So if you guys get ready for these and then we'll come right back and we will talk through them. Check this one out. It says, hello, Cam and Kyle. What's up? I listen to you guys all of the time and I strangely feel like I know the two of you. Word. Even though we've never met. I've been a fan of the show for years now and have finally decided to share my story with the two of you as well as the other listeners. We're way cooler in your mind than we are in real life. Right? That is 100% the truth. (laughs) That is, if you guys wish to tell my story on the air. My story took place when I was a child. My family had a bunch of land near the Ottawa National Forest in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. My dad, two older brothers, and my uncle were avid outdoorsmen and were always going hunting and fishing on the family land. There was a little cabin on the place, And that's where we would stay and spend several weekends a year. I wasn't really into hunting at the time, but I liked to go and just stay at the cabin. The event took place over a couple of days. I can remember it like it was yesterday. It took place one fall during deer season. We were all up at the cabin for the weekend. The guys would all go out and hunting, and I would stay behind at the cabin and make food for them when they all returned. I liked it because they would all leave for several hours, leaving me to the cabin all by myself. It made me feel all grown up for a few hours at least, kind of like I was living by myself. My dad, my uncle, and my two brothers would all leave at the same time and go to the multiple hunting locations they scouted out on previous trips up to the cabin. I distinctly remember one evening when they all got back and my uncle was acting a little strange. He didn't seem his normal joking self. He looked a little white. He looked a little nervous. Normally he was quick to talk about what he had seen while he was out hunting, but not that night. He hardly talked at all. The next day, they all went out hunting again. And when they returned, my uncle looked visibly upset. He began quickly and frantically moving around the cabin, packing up all of his things and loading them into his truck. My dad and brothers were concerned and were asking him, like, what are you doing? He was shaking and yelling at them all to just leave him alone. He said, I'm done. I'm done. He said he was going home. We were all a little worried, a little concerned. And like, what gives? He said he was leaving and that if we had any common sense, we would too. My dad took him by the arm and led him outside of the cabin, out to the truck. I could see them through the window in a loud verbal disagreement out by the truck, but I couldn't make out what they were talking about, but the discussion was heated. Finally, my uncle got in the truck and left in a big hurry. My dad came back into the cabin and told us everything was okay, everything's all right, don't be worried. My uncle had some things he needed to take care of back home, and and that's why he left. I knew this was a lie, but I kind of forgot about the whole thing for a while that was. We stayed a few more days and then went back home. Now, fast forward to about 12 years later. My uncle was in a very bad automobile accident. He was hospitalized and died four days later. After the funeral, we all went back to my aunt's house and were eating and drinking and just socializing with the entire family. 
At one point, I found myself out in the garage where my father and a bunch of other relatives were just hanging out when someone brought up a very strange story. My Uncle Bill asked my father, Hey, do you remember that crazy story Jerry talked about up at the family cabin? My father had a look of concern on his face and said, Yeah, we probably shouldn't talk about that right now. And they kind of moved on. But I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. What is Uncle Bill talking about? What story? My dad kind of looked at me and said, Do you remember the time up at the cabin when your Uncle Jerry got real upset and left the cabin in a hurry? I said, yeah. Actually, I do remember that. He then told several of us that he had a strange encounter with something he couldn't explain. At that moment, my Uncle Bill yelled out, he saw a werewolf. Everyone in the garage was like, what? My dad went on to say that he was correct. That evening, my Uncle Jerry said he was on the way to his tree stand when he came across something terrifying. He saw a large, dark, fur-covered creature that looked like something from the movie The Howling. He said it was six or seven foot tall and was walking around on two legs. What he saw, he said, was something demonic, something not natural, something not of this earth. This hulking beast was the most evil and terrifying thing you could ever imagine. He said he could tell it was pure evil. He could feel it in his bones. Whatever this thing was, it was standing in a clearing and was slowly walking upright, just looking around, looking at its surroundings, sniffing the air, and slowly making its way through the woods. He said it moved with purpose, but he didn't know what. It had this strange strength about it, both physical and metaphysical, like it was in this world, yet shouldn't be. He just watched it in shock, not really knowing what to do. Yes, he was armed, but he knew that trying to use his rifle would be a bad mistake. He just stood there in awe of this strange and frightening creature and wondered, what was it? Why was it here? He began to think that maybe he's losing his mind. He told my dad that something is wrong with this place, this land. It's cursed and you shouldn't hunt here anymore. And for God's sakes, don't let your children around here anymore. Get out of here as quick as you can while you still can. It didn't see him, but he wasn't hanging around anymore. He gathered all of his things and left in a hurry, never to return. In fact, after that event, he rarely spoke to any of us again. Now, I'll remind you, he was an avid hunter. And he said it definitely was not a bear. He left that evening and never went back to the cabin ever again. I don't know what he saw, and my dad said he didn't know either. But Jerry was different after that night. I wish I had more details. I miss my Uncle Jerry. He was always a kind soul. After listening to your show and several others, I think my uncle saw a dog man. Thanks for all you do, Andrea. All right, that's creepy. Yeah, that was creepy. Yeah. So do you guys <laughs> sure. you guys get a lot of the dog man stuff? I mean, I've heard that reference before. A lot of dog man about maybe a combination of dog man and Sasquatch. I mean, yeah, so this is a strange phenomenon like you know, like if we were to go back 8 9 years ago, we didn't really get that many of those. Hardly at all. Like I don't think I've even heard the dog man until like 9 years ago. But then over time, I don't know if it's because the popularity of podcasts or more people are feeling to come forward and share their sightings, but there have definitely been more and more 
stories that have come into us about possible dog man. And then, and you're right, there's a whole spectrum when it comes to it. Some people say it looks like a werewolf from like a movie. Some people say it's like a Sasquatch, but a dog-like head. Some people say it's something in between, you know, and then there's people that have their own theories. Like they didn't think it was physical. They've seen sightings where it looked like it was shimmering or blinking in and out of existence. Like it was somehow caught between two parallel dimensions. Uh, some people think it's a demon of some kind that it knows that you say saw American World from London when you were a kid and that frightened you. So it knows to manifest itself into a creepy image that's in your head, if that makes any sense. There's, there's all these strange sightings. But again, like there's no bones ever found. There's no dog, There's no footprints ever found. And I've even heard of people shooting at them with guns and it has little to no effect. So people are wondering if it, you know, it's just like a mirage or something. It's not truly there. I don't know. But when it comes to Bigfoot, there's always like two different camps, right? There's the murderous killing Sasquatch and then there's like the happy-go-lucky tree-hugging Bigfoot. The Dogman sightings always seem to be it has bad yeah, intentions. Like they're very nefarious. Yeah, like a negative connotation yeah. with the dog man for sure. Just like they're portrayed in Hollywood. Yeah. It's just the way they do. That's how they do all the the werewolves. They always get the rough shake, right? The, the vamps get to look cute and the werewolves get to be old dirty bikers. That's just how <laughs> old it is. Old dirty right? bikers. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's the way it is. And so that's the way dog man is. Dog man shows up in a bad mood all the time. In fact, one of the very first stories I ever heard of dog man, personally, I... Uh, heard we always talk about it from Thackerville, Oklahoma. A turkey hunter saw him hmm. up in that I area. He was out that, yeah. there turkey hunting, had his shotgun and the whole thing, and they built him a brush blind and was sitting in it. And he said he saw something at first he thought was a bear, the way it was moving on all fours, the way it came up. And then it stood up and turned. And he said it stood up, it just kept standing up, just stretched out. And he said it was a big black wolf on back. But that report was it had the legs like a dog's legs. Yeah. Right, it wasn't like a a bigfoot leg. It was dog leg the way it stood up, which of course looks completely funky. Yeah. but that's the way the one that he reported. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of those reports where you know it it stands up, but like you know a black bear will stand up on its rear legs. And I've seen some images where some of those things get real mangy and start yeah, kind of yeah, looking yeah. like, man, that could be some kind of dog or person. You see a black bear with no. Oh hair? yeah, it's wild looking. Ooh. Yeah. It's like a chimpanzee, hairless chimpanzee. Yeah. Those things are terrifying. <laughs> they man. are. Hairless chickens are creepy too, bro. You just get so used to seeing that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the worst part about doing all this is hearing stories like the one you just played. And like when I'm walking out tomorrow morning to my deer stand in the dark, it's like, it's not fun sometimes. Yeah. I bet. I bet you guys, have, you guys are generating your own nightmares. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, oh. it happens. And I like to play it off like it's not, but it does. It happens like once a week. I'll be out there like, all right, it's dark, a little bit longer. Then I got to get down. And like, first of all, it's pigs. Like, you're well, am I going to come across the hogs on the way out? Is this how it's going to go? Or am I going to get out here without terrifying myself? You're like the ghost of Mr. Chicken? Where you're oh, yeah. You just hear that Glock <laughs> popping, pow, 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 <laughs> trying to get the pigs away. That's great. Well, we've got one more story here, uh, possibly two. Um, so yeah. let's go ahead and play one more. It says, hey, guys, first off, I'd like to take the time to thank the two of you for putting out an amazing show. I like how you don't judge others for their strange experiences. I like the way you two have an open mind and expanded perspective. Anyways, that is the part of the reason or that is part of the reason I decided to share my story with the two of you. My grandfather told me this story when I was a teenager and I'll never forget it. 
I'm 56 now, and this story has stuck with me ever since. Part of the reason this story has remained with me all of these years, so vividly in my mind, is for two reasons. One, because of the fantastic tale my grandfather told me, and two, because my grandfather was a no-nonsense type of man. He grew up hard. He grew up poor, in a very rural part of Canada. Like you two always mention, they just don't make people the same now. They made them different back then. They were stronger, tougher, and not ones to complain or tell tall tales. My granddad told me all kinds of stories throughout his life, and I believe every one of them. I don't think he has ever lied to me. I asked my mother if he ever lied to her, and she doesn't believe so. That is why this story is so life-changing, but it's because it's completely unbelievable. But my granddad swears it's true. So do I. My granddad grew up in in the remote woods of central New Brunswick, Canada, in a very remote area where only hunters go now. Their whole family lived out in the sticks. They lived off of hunting, fishing, trapping, and doing some logging. Granddad said that when he was a teenager... He and his older brother, David, were up in the early hours of the morning. They were checking trap lines on an old motorbike. It was early fall towards the end of October, if I remember correctly. Frost was on the grass, and the early morning mist still hung around the forest edges. He was rolling cigarettes with his brother, and they were out of matches. So they dipped a bit of cloth in the gas tank and ignited it off the coil wire. While his brother David kicked the bike over... The sound of a bike being kicked over without an ignition is sort of like an animal call. That's how my granddad described it. Anyways, just as they started smoking their cigarettes, my grandfather noticed something bounding through the tree line towards them. Granddad said it ran in a way a bear did, but different. It stopped several yards away from them and stood up on its hind legs. It was still too far away to tell what it was, but they assumed it was a black bear because they're very common in that area. He grew up around bears his entire life, so he was super familiar with what they looked like, how they acted, and if they were a threat or not. He said for some reason, something just seemed off about this bear, like something was not quite right, but he didn't know what. He got this very strange feeling and tried to warn his brother, but his brother ignored his concerns. He said his older brother started to give him a hard time and teasing him about being scared of a lonely little bear. And he just discredited all of his worries. My granddad said he told his brother again and pleaded with him. He told his brother, David, David, listen to me. Something is wrong. That's not a bear. His brother laughed and said, what do you mean? That's not a bear. Of course it is. My granddad then said, just look at it. It's not moving right. That's when his older brother stopped playing around and got a bit more serious. You could see the expression change on his face as he realized his little brother was right. Something was different about this bear. He said the two of them just watched it for a while, trying not to reveal their location, but that didn't work. It saw them. That's when it began walking upright and towards them. As it got nearer, Granddad said it looked like a huge werewolf. His family origin was German, so as a child his ancestors told him about them in the old country, but he never believed it. That is, until this moment. 
It got as close as 20 feet away from them and then began to eye them closely. It sniffed their smokes and then turned and ran back to the trees. They could finally breathe again, and they just looked at each other in shock. They couldn't move, but at the same time, they didn't want that thing to come back, so they got the heck out of there. They both promised each other that neither one of them would ever tell anyone else about what they saw in the woods that day, and my granddad kept his word until his brother died in the early 80s. Granddad said it was taller than any man and had a huge head. It had evil eyes, long, upright ears, hands with long claws, and had hair all over its body. It was a very dark gray in color and had legs like that of a wolf. I never went back into those woods for the traps after that, and I don't blame him. He told me this story a long time ago, and it stayed with me all of these years. Did he really see a werewolf? If not, what did he see? He never mentioned the story again. I still think about it often, especially on long drives or whenever I'm in the woods. His sighting took place sometime in the late 1940s. Thanks for all you do, Joseph. Ooh, yeah. Another almost like like dogman slash werewolf, you know. And I think what jumps out to me with this is uh, kind of the preset to the story. It's someone who is absolutely credible. You know, there's no... At least to this person. 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 Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, what did you think, Clay? I'm wondering, like, so these are the kind of things that we talk about when we're outdoors and we're sitting around a campfire, right? And we're trying to scare the heck out of each Mm -hmm. other and having a couple of beers or whatever. And, you know, I'm wondering, once, once people listen to these shows... Are they going to reach out and say, hey, I've had this type of experience too, you know? You're going to have your people who are listening to this and they're saying, you know, they're just entertained or they're, uh, you know, this is this is a campfire tale. Mm-hmm, but, uh, you know, these things these things happen, right? I mean, like, w- whatever they are, that's, that's up for debate. But they definitely happen. People have these experiences and they're so common. And you guys get these, these type of, of uh, letters all the time and emails all the time that it's like, you're the ones who really see these patterns, how these all happen. And and these are, again, to reiterate, these are these are hunters. These are outdoorsmen that are really having the vast majority of these type of experiences. And it just, it makes me, it makes me, uh, you know, want to have an experience. And at the same time, I'm pretty, pretty happy staying in the safety of the studio. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, some of the people that are relaying the stories, it's like, they're like, I know this sounds crazy. I, I know it sounds crazy, but like, this is what they told me, or this is what I saw. Like, it, I, as if they don't want to believe it, but they just, they know it sounds insane, but yet they can't explain what they saw. And even in that story, in the one, the person telling it, they're like, he said it looked like a werewolf, but was it? And if it wasn't, then what was it? Like, there's no answers, and that's, there's no closure, you know? But at the same time, people don't know, they can't explain what they saw. Well, imagine going through your whole life believing certain things are a certain way, only to have such a life-shattering and changing experience that it makes you question everything about your reality. We can't fathom that, right? Chris can. You've had something like this happen to where you're still not sure, right? You don't really—and I'm sure there's been nights where you're like, hmm. I mean, we've all had little strange things happen, right, to where we're like, what is that? Yeah. Like I always I always bring this up. How many times has it happened to where you've misplaced something and you know you've checked there and you come back and it's not there and you come back five minutes later and there it is. 
right? It's in that area. Or you think you've had something that, oh yeah, I'm going to throw this away. Like I told the story about my son, threw something away, but then it was back in his pocket when he got home. And he's like, no, I made it a point to throw it away. Some little things like that. So I think life is a little bit stranger than we were willing to give it credit to because it shows that we're not in control of anything, right? And if anything we know, the human being loves to be in control of something. We like to compartmentalize. We like to get everything in its structure and we like to control that structure. And when these phrases come along, that's whenever it makes everything interesting then. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it interesting for from my experience, the Arkansinian in the mist, is people are like, do you really yes. believe that that was a ghost? And I said, well, you know, that was either just an old guy wandering through the woods wearing old clothing, you know you know what I mean, in the middle of a fog by himself, or it was a ghost. But I think the answer is somewhere in between, you know, maybe. A mile back yes. in there by himself. Yeah, yeah he would have said darkness. He would have said something. I mean, hunters are usually courteous to one another. If he was that close, he would have said, hey, morning, yeah. boys. What's something. happening, guys? And I think what was so funny about that story is I remember we were all so in shock, we didn't say anything to him either. You know, so it's just like, that was yeah. weird because yeah. I'm a pretty talkative person. He's like, hey, buddy, what's going on? But, you know, yeah. I didn't. Right. He literally... He literally ghosted y'all. Yeah, that's like, right. he did. I he got did. ghosted a long time ago. Thinking back now, did you have a feeling or did you ask any of the guys, was there any like an, a, like an emotional feeling? Like did everybody get hit with something? That, did we all get the creepy feeling? Did we all get a dread? Did we all get this, you know, is there something that happened? Because if it's like a universal, it's kind of like when the, like a light beam hits you. Everybody got sprayed with the light. Like, well, did, what happened when this guy walked through? Yeah, I mean, I think it for... I, th I look back on it looking at it as almost like shock and a little just like frightened because you, you look up and it's so foggy and then there's someone standing right next to you. So off guard. And, and then just slowly moves through and it's gone. And so it's just one of those experiences where, yeah, it could have been a guy and maybe he was just a jerk and he didn't want to talk. But at the same time, you know, every all three of us had the, all three of us had the same feeling. You know, once he would disappeared in the fall, we we're all like, whoa. Like, what was, who is that? Like, you know, it yeah. was just wild. So, yeah, you know, that's that's what this show's about, is just talking about some of these experiences that people are having. And um, I think it's very, very interesting. And we've got one more. Um, and you mentioned this one is in regards to uh, some Native Americans, correct? Yes. A fellow that I know. Okay. Yeah, a fellow that I know had this experience, and I've been on the property and all this stuff. So this is some stuff that he finally chose to share. So I decided to just put it all down and share it with everybody else. Cool. I didn't record it. We didn't film it. We didn't do the audio recording. He wasn't having that. He does not want his, va his voice, his face, nothing. Right. Yeah. Nothing. He doesn't want to be involved in it just to share these stories. So. Like I said, moving forward, you cue the, the Kelvin Mockingbird flute music and we will get started. <laughs> <laughs> Sighting number one that he told me about was called the water trough. So, and, and I guess the only way to tell this story is to start back in 06 when I first got on this place and I had hunted all around this place. Well, within several miles, let's say, but I always, you know, hunted in that area, but I always wanted to get this part of the land, this area. It was unleased and untouched. Now, the family that owned it was very old, an older couple that lived there. And it was, wasn't until the husband passed away that the wife decided to lease it out. Now, I knew the old man, and he was a good guy, but he had been burned a long time back by some bad hunters, and that left a bad taste in his mouth, so he decided to never do it again. Well, when his widow contacted me, I lost my mind. It was like I was a child on Christmas all over again. 
Now, the couple didn't live on the ranch, but a bit away. So this place was like discovering a country for the first time. It came with a nice price tag, but I didn't care. And, you know, I knew it was going to cost, you know, it was going to be expensive. And I understood that. So I handpicked the guys that I was putting on it. And they are all bow hunters like us. And that's all I wanted to do on this place, at least until after Christmas. And no gunshots fired on it until late season was my plan. That was what Doc's telling me, folks. So, you know, you have to understand he wanted to bow hunt this whole place. And, and even if there was gunshots, it would be just few and far between. Right. So he says, we went down in the summer to build these stands and to scout the place out. And it's a large piece of land and it was rough and rocky, had big hills and valleys. The type of place that I love. Now, this trip was the first time I noticed something strange but had no idea about any of this stuff, so I didn't say anything, and I waited to see if the other guys would. I picked a spot at the end of a dirt road, and I used the word road loosely. Basically, it was a place where in the past you could see had been cleared out and driven on enough to make the tire grooves in the soil, but other than that, it was just a wide trail. At the end of this trail was an old windmill. At the base of this windmill was a long concrete water trough that was about six inches above ground level. It had been dug out so the trough was actually a foot deep and ten feet long. It had been built for sheep that used to be ran on the place so that they would always have the fresh water. Now, it had been turned off for a good while, so that was my first priority. I got some parts. It didn't take much except digging out the old trough, and I had fresh water flowing again. Now, I planned to build a bow stand a few hundred yards from the water trough, so that way nothing felt pressured when they drank, but I could hopefully catch a good buck or turkey coming and going. Now, I hate hunting over feeders, and I know water is the same thing, but I'm not hunting right over it. It's always there, so the animal sets the time that they come. So after the water got flowing, the place turned crazy. I'd walk up the road to the windmill to see what was coming all through there, And there were deer tracks, turkey tracks, javelina tracks. The dirt around it had turned more into a powder because of the traffic. Well, I went down there in mid-September to set in my blind and pretty much hang out and see what was coming. At this point, I hadn't put up any trail cameras anywhere. The first morning I set till about 10 a.m. And then I left the ground blind. I didn't have anything but a pistol because I'm not hunting, but I always carry it just in case of rattlesnakes. So I sneak up to the water trough, which is about 300 yards from my blind, and I was hoping to see something. I didn't have my binos around my neck because I didn't get them out of my pack yet. You know, I was only relaxing. And I see movement through the mesquites, and what looks like two raccoons take off from the water hole, which I thought was a little odd. See, rabbit animals have a hard time swallowing, so they usually don't drink, but yet these coons didn't move like a normal coon. So I was thinking rabies... But I was confused, and also, why would there be two of them with rabies hanging out? Yeah. So I eased down to the trough to inspect the powdery ground, and that's when I got a chill, Cam. You see, right where those damn raccoons had been standing were little footprints. Now, I'm not talking like kid footprints. I'm talking like baby feet. Wow. Yeah. It says, for a split second, I thought one of the other guys was messing with me. You know, like I was trying to rationalize what my brain was seeing, but I knew inside that I was the only one at camp. 
Then I start thinking about some lost children or abandoned kids, and I get sick at my stomach, and I can feel myself getting this frantic feeling like I had to do something, like I had to find these kids and get them some help. So I take off in the direction I saw the raccoons go. Now I'm tracking these tiny footprints in the dirt until they disappear not 10 yards from the trough because the ground gets hard again and then grassy. So I circle the area and I'm making bigger and bigger circles. And the whole time I'm making these circles, I'm calling out to them. I'm telling them it'll be okay. I'm here to help. But there was nothing, Cam, not a damn thing. It was probably the most helpless and useless I have ever felt. Well, I went back to camp and I just sat in silence. I didn't know if I was seeing things. Should I go and call the sheriff or get the game warden or try to get help or if I was just going crazy? So for the next two days, I went back there and I searched. I called and I sat and I was hoping to catch a glimpse or to find another track. But there was nothing. In the end, I went back home and I chalked it up to some strange anomaly that I hoped never happened again, and I just waited till deer season. Now, that whole season, nothing else happened. And I looked for tracks every time I hunted that spot. Nobody else brought up seeing anything odd, and I didn't say a word about what I saw either. As time went on, especially around our camp, which was an old barn that we had converted into a lodge, basically, well, it got more updated. We had two travel trailers down there and a few ATVs, and then we had a little storage shed with supplies and stuff in it. Now, some guys had feeders, so there was always a bags of corn in the shed and tools and odds and ends, like any normal deer lease camp. Well, over the next two years, we noticed that rats or coons would get into the old shed, and we'd have to patch the holes where they were trying to get in and right. get to the corn and whatnot. Said so it wasn't until a couple of sockets from a toolbox vanished and then all the lids off the wasp spray and the WD-40 cans went missing. And it wasn't until one of the guys said his camp axe that was strapped to his four-wheeler went missing that I started thinking about those footprints again. He told us that the axe scabbard was double Velcroed, so it was impossible to come undone and fall out. Now, he thought somebody borrowed it and lost it and just didn't want to say anything. Well, after that, things were normal. And I, being the only guy on the lease that had his own business, I was down there almost year-round. I'm not sure if my wife loved it or hated it, but she knew that this was the place that I'd been dying to get on, so I think she just kind of let me slide. Well, the next sighting took place in 2010. I had a pop-up blind set on the side of a big mesquite flat overlooking a canyon. Now, this spot was way back in the back of the property, and it bordered an even larger piece of land that I'm pretty sure nobody ever went on. Now, this is the same property? Same property, same deer lease, same guy, a few years later, four years later. So, footprint sightings. Yep. Nothing. Year or two goes by. The shed stuff starts missing out of the shed. Yeah. Nothing. Few years go by. 2010. He's back in the back of this deer lease, real rough. He said that the only way to get to this spot was to hike back into it. And he says that when I got back in there, said I had always planned that I was going to spend all day. Now, this mesquite flat had a ton of buck rubs on it and was a great travel corridor and had some good open shots up to 48 yards. So he'd been ranging and checking it all out. He said it was an ideal place to rattle and grunt during the rut or to catch a buck during midday. Now, I'm going to stop right there, folks, to kind of fill you all in. Buck rubs are where a buck 
a white-tailed deer, when his horns grow in, they're in velvet. As they go to harden, they rub that velvet off because basically it's just blood vessels under the, the, the skin. And as they harden it, itches and they, you know, they rub them off. So as those buck rubs, they do it on tree limbs or small saplings, small to standing trees. And you can see them shed, you know, they really pretty much put a beating on those little trees. So those are buck rubs. That's something that you always look for when you're whitetail hunting is there'll be a line of them lots of times. Now they may be several hundred yards apart, but that's how you can tell where the, the bucks are moving. And then when he talks about rattling, that's where you take two horns. Antlers. Antlers. Yes, my bad. Antlers. Yeah, <laughs> horns are permanent. Antlers fall off. You take two antlers and you basically slam them and clatter them together. And it makes the sound of two whitetail fighting. And when they hear that, other whitetail always assume that they're fighting over a, a doe that's in estrus, ready to be bred. So they show up to the fight. So you can bang horns People together. like to watch a good fight. Yeah. I mean, if I hear a fight, I'm running too. Yeah. I want to see what's going on. They're going to show up. And that's what he's doing up there. That's what Doc was doing up there is he knew this big open spot was. He goes on to say that I set my blind up the summer before with the back right along a side of a steep valley. And he says, I mean like right on it. Maybe two or three foot of the drop before you got to that edge. He said, so I could slip in from the rough side of this valley and never step in the mesquite flat. Now, the blind, he said, faced north for the north winds, and that way anything trying to circle behind would have trouble catching his scent off the back of that big draw. So he's facing due north, looking in this area. He says, now, what I'm going to tell you, I've never told anyone but my wife and the guy that I hunt on with this place. He says, I left camp early, and I rode my mountain bike as far back in the place as I could. I'm going to stop right there, too, folks. A lot of people, and myself included, will ride mountain bikes on these places because they're quiet. They don't leave the scent. They're not noisy. And you can get to and from in those places deep. So you would ride them as far back in there on your lease as you can. You you know, you prop it up against a tree and then walk on in. He says, then I switched to hiking in the dark, trying to only use the starlight and what little moonlight was out to find my way. It was mid-December and the rut was in full swing. So it was cold in the mornings with a light breeze. And I knew the moon phase was going to give me problems a little later. So this was a go time for a big buck. And I made my way up into the blind and I was waiting just like any other hunt. And I watched several bucks chasing does. And I did some rattling and had some fun with some smaller bucks reacting to the horns or antlers. <laughs> but nothing that I was looking for. So I was watching a group of three doe on the flat for a while and was really just thinking how lucky I was to have these types of opportunities to get to be in nature and to see the things I've seen. Basically feeling a lot like I was when I found those tracks four years earlier. Well, I'm guessing it was around 10.30 or 11. I turned around and I opened the back windows to the blind just enough to glass out of. I grabbed my binoculars. I just started scanning the big valley and all the land below. Now, I should explain that there was a trail a long way across this valley, and I would almost every time, and I really mean almost every time, see Havelina going up or down the side of this little mountain. Now, those little suckers had carved out a good little path, and from what I could tell, you know, had no problem strolling up and down the hill there. I think it's, you know, I, I think it led, he says, to a bigger valley, and there had to be some water source on the other side. I'm not sure because it's on the neighbor's place. So it was across the fence. He could see it go up, and then they were on the back neighbor's place. He said, either way, there was always something to watch in that area. Now, I might add 
that I had this blind up, you know, for a good while. You no, know, it, it wasn't just up for a bit. It had been up for a while now. It says, so I'm glassing around and I'm seeing some critters when I noticed movement on the trail that I was just telling you about. He says, man, reliving these things gives me a weird feeling all over again. I didn't think it'd be this hard to discuss, but I guess it's because I've not really come to grips with what I saw And if I completely do, it's going to change basically how I view the outdoors. But anyways. Oh, no. What did he say? I look at what I think is a small group of javelina walking up the little trail. I don't think I've ever ranged this spot. And I don't know if my rangefinder would go that far. But I would guess that it's between eight and nine hundred yards away. So I pull my binoculars up to glass, of course. And I lose my breath. It's not three javelina like I thought it was. Cam, it was three little Indians. Now, I'm not talking about kids. I mean, I'm looking at three full-grown, what appear to be Indians, and they can't be over 24 inches tall. Like Native Americans, but just shrunken down. That's what I said, Indians. I'm just using what he says. Yeah, Native Americans, 24 inches tall, Native Americans. He says, I feel this tightness starting my hands and arms move into my chest. Hell, my hands are getting sweaty just telling you this. I have this feeling like at any minute they're going to turn and see me looking at them and run, but I know they won't. I watch them for, I'd say, a good three minutes as they slowly work their way up the trail. Now, the one in the lead was wearing an animal skin top like they had cut a hole in the middle of it and just pulled it over their head, and it looked like it was raccoon skin. Now, all three had on pants of some sort and skin coats. I couldn't get all the details of their clothing, but I could tell the one in the lead had a long, had long gray hair and was the oldest, and the younger two followed him or her up the trail. They all had walking sticks and little packs on and some stuff hanging off their hips. I assume they had belts tying their jackets closed and then little pouches hanging off of it. They looked like they had fallen out of the past and were stuck on the side of the hill. Now, I asked him, and I didn't really pile all this in there. That's wild, man. But I asked him, I said, could those things you saw on the hips, could they have been the lids off of those spray cans? Like little cups or oh, scoops. I got you. Yeah. He didn't, he said, I couldn't tell. You know, I wasn't sure what I was. Of course, you got to imagine what you're seeing at this point. Your mind is racing. So while he's telling me this, his wife's sitting there, we're sitting there. You can just see, and she's physically looks like she's glad he's getting it out and telling you know, not just because you can see him struggling. Doc's having a hard time and it gets the next one's even worse than this. The last he had one another happened. sighting. He had another sighting was the last one that happened to him there on the same property. And he's still on the property. Yeah. Yeah. Same property. We need to get out. there. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Now, he said, I never stopped watching them until they were gone. And then I scanned through my glasses until my head hurt so bad I was getting sick. I sat there all day thinking about what I'd seen and was adding up how this was possible. I didn't go back there to that spot for the rest of the year, but I have hunted that spot since seeing them, and I haven't seen them again. Like the last time, I didn't say anything to the others about what I had seen. The last sighting is turkey season. It says, this last one took place during turkey season of 2014, and me and one other guy was in camp that weekend. It said, we had planned to hunt together so one could call and the other could shoot, but the birds were so hot that we couldn't wait and we went off by ourselves. It was mid-April and I was hunting an old dry creek bed 
and I had already taken one good gobbler and was hoping for a shot at another. And I had seen some good ones in this area, so I moved into this spot well before daylight and I did some calling. Now he goes on to say this, he goes, and the birds were hot, and by I mean hot, was if you slammed the truck door, they would gobble. Now we've all hunted in spots like that to where they're on the roost going crazy in the mornings. He said, if you clapped your hands loud, they would gobble. He said, it was crazy. And I was really, really excited. He said, so I heard a tom, and when he left the roost, he started moving away from me. So he's calling, listen to that, that turkey call back. He said, I figured he had a hen or two with him, and that I needed to close the distance and try to get around in front of him without being seen. Right. He says, my plan was to use that dry creek bed to stay below the turkey's line of sight, and then I could haul ass quietly, set around him, and then set up my decoys, and then I could see if I could pull him away from those hens or at least get him to offer me a shot. And he says, here's where my life changed again, Cam, when I made this decision. I think about what if I had not seen those tracks? Or what if I had not seen those three little guys? Or what if, or, he said, what if I had not came face to face with these two tiny hunters? And I'm like, excuse me? He goes, yeah. He goes, this story sounds even crazier because it was like the encounters were ramping up. But I swear this is how it all happened. I was moving in the loose sand, not really making a sound, and staying crouched over enough that nothing up top that was turkey height could see me unless it was right on the edge of that dry creek bank. And he said, that's exactly what happened. So there was a bit of an S bend at, on one part of that creek. And he said, it went back to the right and then sharply back to the left and then straightened out and opened up to some thick brush, which basically when he described it to me is it sounds like it's not really a true creek of more of a runoff, like a low water crossing across a road. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's got sand in it. So it's real quiet. So you're moving down there. So he's coming up out of like basically where the creek would start is where he's at. He says, my plan was to pop out there at where that thick brush was right. and use that brush as a wall to get around ahead of the birds. He said, so I made the right turn and slipped around back to the left, and boom, there they were. On the bank of that old dry creek bed, 20 foot away, he said, and maybe four foot above me, just right up above me, looking right at me were two tiny Indian hunters. He said, I froze. He goes, I'm in full camo, full face mask, backpack on, decoys in my right hand, and I'm holding my bow by the string in my left hand. Right. I'm standing right in the middle of this creek bed, wide-eyed and staring at two men. I don't really know how to say this without sounding romantic or full of crap. He said, but two of the most noble and beautiful things I have ever seen. Just two tiny Native American hunters. He said both were two foot tall, lean little muscular arms, no shirts on, only brown pants that I'm guessing was leather, no shoes on, long black hair, dark brown skin, and they were wearing necklaces. And he says this, I shit you not, Cam, I think one of them had a socket on the necklace around his neck. That's what he tells me, yes. He said they both had little bags, like little Indiana Jones bags, little satchel bags. They looked like they had tiny bows and arrows, and one had a little rabbit with its feet all tied together hanging around him. You know how they tie them up like you put like yep, small yep. game? He said, I'm guessing that was lunch. Yeah. Now, he's telling me this. He's freaking... 24 inches tall, a rabbit. Yeah. I mean, that could feed a family. Well, you've got to think about it. Could it feed at least four, you would imagine? Yeah. You're talking about two foot. 
I mean, the whole rabbit top to bottom, it'd be like holding up a small deer. Yeah, jackrabbits are taller than that. You're exactly right. He says, they didn't look as surprised as I'm sure I looked, but we both stood and stared at each other for what felt like five minutes, but it was probably more like 60 seconds. He says, I felt like they were taking me in as much as I was doing that to them. And the really weird thing was, I didn't feel that nervous or panicked, like that whole feeling, like I did before. Man, that is... He says, I felt like I was receiving a gift, man. Like I had been a good shepherd for Mother Nature, and she was showing me some others that worked for her as well. We got to get down to this place. Now, he goes on to tell me, he said, I had no idea what to do, and I felt like I was in the wrong. He said, now, wait, get a load of this stuff, right? Because I might have been the same way. When yeah, you're, you're just, just stuck, you're like, you're just frozen. Uh, like, what, what do I do? Yeah. yeah. So there you go, guys. Wow, that's wild. That is that is one so of the set across from a guy that you've known for a long time and have a man tell you that. Yeah, that what was out there. With but, that? but again, like you said, it's credible. You know, the guy that you're getting this story from, you would say is a credible person. Yeah, like you said, like what do you do mm-hmm. with it? Like I haven't talked to him. I don't think I've talked to him this year because uh, he sold the place that they had here close and, and moved a little little bit out of town to get out when all the real estate stuff was going on. But I'd talked to him a few times after even sharing this whole thing. And man, he kept going back to that last encounter. Is he just kept saying it was like it was in a dream? He was like, dude, it's just like it wasn't real. Like he, he's like, I, it's like I wasn't supposed to be there at that time. Like it all worked perfect. Like, and I keep saying, I'm like, you're talking like time slips away. He's like, no, it was just like a moment in time that I impeded on that I wasn't supposed to be part of. Because he was like, it was too perfect. Because he talked about that whole day. He went on about that whole day, like I even alluded to whenever they're talking about how hot the birds were. He was like, this whole hunt was like a magical time. Like everything was good. Everything was working perfect. The weather, everything was working. And then to see that, he was like, man. And it's it has, it's changed him. He was, uh, still is, uh, like I said, kind of a hard guy, right? Like he's kind of a hard line dude and whatnot. And ever since this, he's not the same. He's not near as rough around the edges. He's not near as, it's it's definitely made him really reflect, I think, on a lot of stuff. It did me. I've been on the place. I know exactly where that water trough is. I've seen that water trough, the whole thing. I've shot a javelina. I've turkey hunted around that thing, the whole deal. I've never seen where he had the other blind or where he had all that. I've never seen where all that stuff went down, but I've seen that water trough and all that. But yeah, he's not the same dude. And man, it's one of those deals. I just, I'm glad that he shared it. That was the whole thing. But his wife was the most appreciative. She's like, he has to tell somebody this. And what an, what an odd twist to an already strange story. Why were they small? It wasn't like they were seeing ghosts of Native Americans. They were Native Americans, but yet tiny. tiny. And I always give him hell about it. I'm like, dude, did you throw in the whole socket bull crap to make me giggle? He's like, no, dude, I'm serious. There was something around his neck, and I'm positive it was shiny. He's like, you're trying to take it all in at one time. But it's like, like he described, he was like, they were okay with it. They it, saw him, and they were like, what's up? And he's like, what's up, guys? And then that was it. Like, you didn't see me. I didn't see you. We're getting out of here. Do you remember the the movie The Indian in the Cupboard, the child's yeah. kids movie? Kind of like it's like that. That's kind of like what he saw. But but like you try to wrap your head around why? Why would you see small versions of Native Americans hunting? So we get tales of Dwindies, the Fae, right? And they are like little brown skinned native look, but nothing like this. This is one of those one off things that it just doesn't make a lot of sense. 
Well, I'll tell you what, what really jumped out to me with this story is now I know where my number 10 socket is. <laughs> <laughs> there is for yeah. sure. Well, we always Everybody was always like, "Now yeah, I know where I it's know at. where that thing is." And, you know, and, and what's what's funny or not funny, but interesting for me for this too. Like you said, that's kind of a hard dude. Like he's kind of someone who, um, you know, didn't really want to tell that story, but he felt like he had to. So I wonder, you know, just like how many people in the outdoors, how many outdoorsmen out there have ran into some of these things and they're like, yeah, I'm not telling anyone. People are going to think I'm insane. So, you know, I wonder how many are out there and that's, that's something serious. Yeah. We talk about that all the time. Like it's like the tip of the iceberg for every one of these crazy sightings. There's probably a hundred more because when it comes to the paranormal, I think, Everybody's kind of interested in it. It's just what level of interest you have in it. I think almost everyone walking around has had something strange happen to them that they can't explain. And then some people have some really crazy things they can't explain. But I bet you that there's a lot more sightings that people just never, ever talk about. Well, that's how I describe our podcast when everybody always asks, what's it about? I said, what it's about is everything you like to talk to your buddies about, but you don't want anybody to know that you're into. Because that's what it is. Everybody's curious about it. They love to watch it when everybody's... Everybody's in sleep at my house. I'm going to put on ancient yeah, aliens, yeah. or I'm going to put on something you want to, but you don't want your friends to know you're into it. And, right? You don't want the UFO people to think you're a crazy big yeah. believer, <laughs> right? And we're not we're not cryptozoologists. Right. We're not ghost yeah. hunters. We're not into like we all the show is is we just share yep. stories. We're storytellers. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. And I'm really glad you guys, you know, got the opportunity to join us here, uh, kind of introduce our audience to you guys. Um, I'm hoping. You guys start getting some some letters from some Ducks Unlimited podcast listeners. Like, hey guys, here's here's a good duck story or duck related story type thing. Um, because I know they're out there. I know y'all oh, yeah, got them. They're out yeah. there. Like I said, I mean you're you're in some of the darkest, you know, weirdest off the beaten path places that you know sometimes are surrounded by everything from you know the native to or native uh mounds to you know out west there's some you know you can get out in the middle of nowhere out there duck hunting in some areas um so no i mean i'm i'm hoping that that this is something that that you guys definitely benefit from this is this has been fantastic yeah it's been great for us too we're glad that you invited us to <laughs> yeah, come on awesome. it was amazing we got some cool gear uh we like to share stories uh it's, it's gonna be a great halloween episode hey guys before we get you out of here again we appreciate you joining us where can our listeners one find your podcast two send you some stories from where they're out duck and goose hunting and running into some possibly some paranormal or maybe a dog man maybe that dog man can do some double blind retrieves or something help somebody out that'd be pretty awesome but yeah. where can they where can they contact yeah. you guys don't miss more than twice or he's not going to get it he's going to be <laughs> yeah. uh, you can find us anywhere you find podcasts wherever they've got y'all they can find us just search expanded perspectives we have Instagram we have Facebook we have Twitter we're not real real behind on Twitter. We don't mess with that or Facebook that much. Instagram, if you want to get in touch in touch with us, you can get us on Instagram. You can email the show at expandedperspectives at yahoo.com if you've got any kind of crazy sightings you wish to share. Cool. Awesome. Hey guys, once again, thank you very much. We cannot wait to possibly do this again, get some more stories out there. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Thanks for, thank you so much for even thinking of us whenever we get, y'all start thinking about the weird stuff. So yeah, of course, we would love to do it. Awesome. I'd like to thank our guests, Kyle and Cam from Expanded Perspectives Podcast for coming on here, really sharing some cool stories, kind of opening up people's ideas of what they're seeing outdoors and possibly even 
getting some hunters out there to come forward and be like, hey, man, this is some of the weird stuff I've seen when I'm out there. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting Wetlands Conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.